Welcome to another episode of Hobby in Canada. I'm your host, Tom, and with me this week is... Reduced Crew. Oh, yeah. Dan. Steve. So, uh, <laughs> that means uh, fuck Ward and fuck Mike. Yeah. Um, Ward's... Uh, although, especially so Ward. Yeah. Because Ward's already in Vegas. It's apparently warmer than here, although unseasonably cold even for Vegas. It's like nine. <laughs> that sounds perfect for I me. I know, I hear you. I hope it's that way next year if we're rocking the Canadian tuxedos. I keep telling uh, Al, like, because she's not going away anywhere right away, because she's got to do this whole thing called work. Um, oh, yeah. So I keep telling her that, don't worry, it's okay, it's, it's, it's not that warm in Vegas, but it just does not seem to be going over well. I don't know why. Well, yeah, that's not the reassurance she really okay. needs. Because 9 is still better than minus 34. Yeah, no, fuck. <laughs> no, you're right. That's <laughs> which is apparently still workable priming weather, but I mean, it's not really amenable to sustaining human life or whatever. Yeah, yeah. the fact yeah. that people live in this climate uh, still every once in a while amazes me. Hey, the, the land was free. Uh, well, mm. <laughs> let's move on. Mm. <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a bag of worms. Uh, no, okay. So let's do this weekend hobby. Um, I feel like I have a lot to talk about. Dan, uh, so let's start with Dan. What do you have to talk about? Uh, some Battletech shit. What'd you do? Um, got my starter set models. Uh, some of them literally just today. Some of them a couple of days ago. So I uh, started cleaning up mold lines, basing, priming, that sort of a thing. So uh, some Battletech. And also mess, messing around with some more of my uh, Primaris friends. So the Raven Guards. Uh, nice. So one of the sergeants got... One of the mostly painted guys got snipped at the elbow to give him a power fist. Yep. And, which uh, which kit did you use for that? For the power fist? Yeah. Uh, the fist came from, uh, I think it was the Vanguard veteran sprue. Okay. One of the veteran sprues, but I basically just cut it right below the elbow. It actually fits? It looks a tiny bit small because uh, I think the I think the Primaris ones are sort of in between like uh, Terminator and regular power fist size. Gotcha. It's a subtle difference, but like a millimeter of difference on the scale of a space marine is actually noticeable. Yeah, no, totally. But it looks fine. It's still a big old power fist, and I'm painting it white on a black model as well, so like it stands out. Gotcha. Cool. That'll work. Steve? But, uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I don't really, again, I just don't even know. Um, I got uh, the rest of my Shining Spears finally done. It's only been like six months I've been talking about that. They are completely done up to the standard that I want them done at, all the way through to like the scratches and everything on the white that I wanted to get painted up. Uh, I got uh, a unit of Rangers repainted. I don't know if you noticed that, Tom, but the, the ones that you were talking about, like take the extra unit of five yeah. or painted old school. Got them done. They're repainted and all finished up. Uh, I got... Yeah. Now that I'm actually looking at them, they're noticeably better. That's not even the ones. Really? These are the old ones. Apparently, I just don't know what the fuck I'm talking These are real about. old. They didn't get fully repainted, but... Oh, those are like second-ed old. Yeah, second-ed okay. rangers. <laughs> and you can barely tell that they're second-ed rangers because they're the same colors, so it works. Uh, I blend in. Um, I got a ton of work done on uh, actually a death chester. I repainted the cloak and a leg for a death chester, and that leg was like painting an entire unit because I did checkers across it. Uh, and to make checkers look good, you can't just paint them just the base colors. You actually have to highlight each checker, otherwise it looks weird. 
Um, so that was fun. Uh, I got a whole bunch of basing done. I got my display tray finished, which involved wiring. That was fun. Yeah, LEDs, uh, man. Yeah, it's, it's going to turn out good. Maybe I'll post a video, but I don't know if I'm going to have time. But we'll see. And I've got 13 witches, more or less, repainted and finished because they needed to have their, like, they're not on the base right now. They're over there. I was like, they're very invisible. They're being <laughs> rebased right now to match the rest of the stuff. Um, they're, uh, they just needed, like, some purple accents and a little bit of red to tie in because they had, like, a blue before it looked kind of weird. Uh, and I, I think that's it. <laughs> I don't actually know what else. I'm sure there's more I'm forgetting, but we'll leave it at that. That's fair. I painted a Cephalix army. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, like 50 points, eh? 50 points with uh, second caster, so I can actually run two different lists. That's pretty nice. awesome. So, yeah, I, when you just were like churning that thing out, I was like, holy shit, that's impressive. That was uh, out of the blue, it kind of felt like. It was. It actually was one of those things where I was, because I'm taking some time for myself, I was trying to think of like, what hobby projects I'd want to do where it could be, like, pretty low stress. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of hopping. Are you, are you trying to tell me to do Battletech models? As I'm just sliding <laughs> Battletech models across the table. Yes. It's actually, they're on, some of them are on my list. Um, but no, I ended up watching a video because there was, it always pops up every once in a while, especially in the War Machine painting groups on Facebook because Matt DiPietro used to be the studio painter for Privateer Press. And he's also one of the guys that's really pushing that, like, sketch-style painting yeah. um, on the boards. And oftentimes, guys don't really understand what that means. Yep. And so they just kind of, like, paint black, dirty. white, and then, like, heavy paint over top. Um, so I ended up watching uh, Dallas Kemp, uh, also another former now studio yep. painter, uh, did a video uh, of how he did it. And he was painting up this, like, cool, like, serpent model. And he did a green that I'm like, hey, that'd be pretty quick and easy gobber skin. So I did that. <laughs> nice. It's awesome. And it, it turned out to be like a really quick and easy color scheme. And it was a lot of fun. Green and metal. Do you have some experience with those colors? <laughs> um, it was kind of fun, though, because I did, a, I did something that I've never done before on an army scale. And that was wet blending. Oh. I was just going to say, we clearly just established that you've done green and metal before. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was just a little bit and it was subtle, but so the way that I started the base coat for all of the like bronzy gold color on the models was with the, um, Vallejo copper metal color. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'd have yeah. that on like thick and wet and then I would take retributor armor and then just kind of like wet blend it in, kind of giving me like a quick sketch of the metallic Yeah. and then outside of some washes and, and actual highlights, like that was it. So it'd be like two or three layers of washes, a couple quick edge highlights with Liberator Gold and Quicksilver, and it was done. Huh. Yeah. And it actually looked, I think, looks really good for what it is. You know, like. Uh, this one of the things that I gotta, I wanna work on this next year is painting quicker. Less time to get to the finished product. But it was really nice to just kind of like go through, and it was maybe a minute a model. Exactly. Yeah. To get those two layers in the, like, the copperish areas on those models. Yeah. So. That was a lot of fun. I tried it with the, the steels, but they, because it was like one Vallejo metal painted on another Vallejo metal, tried to do the wet blend with, because the only problem with those Vallejo metallics is that they have a propensity to separate if you're putting them yes. on too thick. Yep. It didn't quite work. Yeah, so, you, they get those kind of weird streaky, swirly effects rather than actually just blending properly if you're not careful. Yep. Yeah. Um, which I kind of ended up using a little bit to my advantage where... <laughs> If you kind of do a few layers of that on a model, 
it starts giving it some really interesting texture. Yeah, because you get almost like a hammered metal kind of a look rather than like a sheet extruded, like perfectly flat look. Interesting. Which is actually kind of fun. Um, so the the steel kind of changed by the end of the project. Um, but really it was, I could churn out, it was about 45 minutes of gobber. That's not bad. Um, that ain't bad at all. For those guys. And like, they're not great, but they, I think they look pretty good for what they are. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah, the army just kind of came together. And I've got like another 10 models on my decks to basically all of the other Cephalix models that I own will be done. Nice. That's so, awesome. then I need to get more gobbers. One day I'll come back to my convergence. Yeah, I think, you know, it's one of those things where... I actually don't hate the way that the Servitors and Iron Mother... Whatever the hell her name is? Is that her name? Well, there's Iron Mother, but you also had Aurora. Yeah, but I have Iron Mother right there. Oh, okay. I can't see her. Oh, now I can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's Iron Mother. Yeah, anyways. Uh, I like the way those turned out, even though those weren't... Uh, amazing. They were a lot quicker to paint than my usual stuff, kind of in that same theme. And it's a fun game. Like, it's it's one of those things where I think a lot of people get really caught in, you know, you have to play games, tournaments to play games and have fun. Yeah. But... Well, that's not true. It's not true at all. It's not true. You, like, we could just, you know, one week we bang out a game of 40k, the next week we play some War Machine. Yep. So. You guys pronounce Battletech funny. <laughs> you know what, Dan? Dan, that's a bridge too far. I have two lances painted, man. It's true. Silence. It's true. <laughs> I can't really make fun of you for that so much as, well, I'd make fun of the other guys who aren't here, but what's the point? Because mm-hmm. they both own also large amounts of models that I uh, procured for them over the years for Battletech. And, uh, well, Ward. I'll, is it Ward? Ward's got his own issues I'm, right I'm now. sure they're immaculately <laughs> clean, but yes, he is painting, he's frantically painting slightly larger scale robots at the moment. In a hotel room in Vegas. That's <laughs> <laughs> just... Throw onto the bus a little bit there. Ugh. It's not a tournament unless you're frantically painting until like ten minutes before the first. Dice I don't rolls. know how you can do that. So like for me, I I have been an absolute stress case around this army, and it is playable. The reason I've been a stress case is because I'm trying to get like the LVO has a weird painting rubric. I don't want to say weird. That's not fair. It's just a very specific checklist, and I am like way too stressed that I'm not going to get all the points that I possibly could. But the army is like beyond playable. Oh, yeah, it's great! They yeah. look really awesome, and in a lot of in a lot of tournament formats, especially ones that don't have like six hundred competitors, yeah, it is like guaranteed. You know, top three at a minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a little different at with uh, a rubric Vegas. and with a six hundred man field. You never quite know what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. But my point is, if I was in Ward's shoes, I would literally be unable to function due to stress. Like I cannot <laughs> handle that. Yeah, I, I don't know how people, there's lots of people I know, lots of friends of ours that paint like in hotel rooms or rolling on the plane, remember him? Yeah. Painting away on a plane. But that wasn't going to an event, that was just traveling. I thought that was going to Vegas. Yeah, just to go to Vegas, not not to, because... Was dude, he playing? He was painting dystopian wars, it was not to play in Vegas. Oh, fuck, why, okay, who cares, it's on a plane, I might as well have been a coloring <clears> book. <laughs> yeah. At that point in time. Weird, anyways, point is, I this stresses me out, I don't know how people do it. I... I used to do the, like, night before, but if I'm traveling for an event, whatever I f- whatever level it's done to when I'm going to leave, that's that's all I do. Yeah. If I'm traveling, like, I'm not going to fucking paint in Vegas. Oh, yeah, zero <clears> chance. <throat> I'm not zero even going to paint chance. in, like, a tournament in Grand Prairie, you know? Yeah. Like, even if I'm going somewhere that sucks. Yeah. Sorry, but it does. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> 
where coming like, from the people that live in the booming metropolis of Edmonton. <laughs> you know what, man? I've been to Grand. There's not a lot to do there. Like that's all I'm saying is like if you're going to Vegas. Okay, I want to just say <clears throat> one of my favorite tournaments that I've ever been to. I had the most fun at Grand Prix. Playing my skating. Like, no, don't get me wrong. It was a, I had a great time playing in Grand Prairie. Yeah. But it's not like there's a lot to do in Grand Prairie. It's going to distract you. Fair enough. In the, like, we were just drinking in the hotel. That's my recollection, too, and that was super fun. And drinking in Grand Prairie is a much worse song than drinking in L.A., which is actually one of my favorite songs. True. <laughs> True. Brand Van. Yeah. Got to rip the Brand Van 3000, man. You don't get enough credit anymore. I really wish there was, a like, ring, a... ding, ding. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I really want them to come back as like Brand Van like four thousand or something, <laughs> just better. Yeah. What if they came back as Brand Van two thousand? That like would they're regressing. also be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's just like the exact same songs, but just with two thirds of notes, <laughs> just and lyrics, just bad. Like they just came back worse in every way. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, oh man. But seriously, I actually really do love that. I, song. Me too. It was one of my favorites. Big Shiny Tunes too. Bam. Classic. It's great. It's a good time. Some so, Canadiana right there for you. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyways, we'll talk a little bit more about the process that I used to paint these guys because uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the products that I used. Mm-hmm. But let's uh, while we're talking about Vegas and while we're talking about tournaments, um, it's come to my attention largely because you told me that one of the lists going to the LVO this year. This is my favorite person in the entire is world. A single Warhound Titan. Yes. Yeah. Because it's exactly 2,000 points. Yeah. Are we into period one? Or are we going to shut up and take our money? Oh, shit. That's a thing. Well, we can. We, yeah. Sure, why not? Dan, you got something? I don't really have anything. Uh, there's a few little things. Um, aside from, obviously, getting in stock the Battletech stuff and picking up some horse heresy books and other things to attempt to get free shipping from Meeple Mart, realized I'm going to fall just short, and then they started selling out of the products I was actually trying to buy, so I just, like, hit send. But uh, in addition to all that stuff, I finally got in my um, my most recent hassle-free miniatures order. Nice. Which was hilariously Black Friday order. Which, That's a shit light. Because uh, they extended their Black Friday because one of their very few staff members had, like, surgery. And then I'm not sure if they were not shipping to Canada because of the whole postage strike thing for a bit. So basically it didn't even get shipped until, like, I don't know, Christmas or after or something insane. But uh, that finally came in, so I got some uh, more of my... Uh, resin masters miniatures these ones were actually kind of fun um there's uh basically it's not nathan drake from um uncharted yep uh not lara croft like the whatever like alicia vikander looking one rather than like the cartoonishly disproportionate one yep and the other one is he looks an awful lot but is legally distinct from arnold schwarzenegger in commando nice so those look pretty freaking sweet and because, I don't know if they always do this or if they just do it because when I buy stuff from Hassle-Free, I always buy during their holiday sale periods because dollars and cents matter. Uh, but I also buy their uh, Resin Master editions, which are, uh, as the name implies, they are cast in resin. They are like immaculate casts. And uh, basically they get like maybe 10 pulls out of those molds after they use them to make the masters for the metal miniatures. And they just sell however many they can before they start to degrade and they chuck the molds. Uh, so those are far more expensive than just their uh, cheapo pewter miniatures. So I'm not sure if it's because I buy Resin Masters. I'm not sure if it's because I always buy during the holiday periods. But I always get random uh, metal miniatures thrown into the box for free. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of thematically tied into the type of stuff that I'm buying. And I'm not sure how deliberate it is, but I've never gotten something for free that I've ordered in a separate order. Like, it's always... Something that's really close to what I've ordered before, but I don't have. And in this case, it's something that I'm going to give to Tom. What? You may recognize him. 
<laughs> what is it? It is it looks um, an awful do, lot like Kurt Russell. What do they call him? Yeah, they call it the, the name of the miniature from Hassel Free is Foster, but it bears that striking re- resemblance to Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. Wow, <laughs> that is amazing! It looks fuck. That's a good sculpt. I know, right? Wow, <laughs> it's like a non-heroic, uh, like twenty-eight or thirty mil. Can you um, get Egg Shen? I don't know if they have too many, and they certainly wouldn't use the same name. For can a number get, of reasons. Can you get legally distinct action? <laughs> um, you can if it's a gremlin in Malifaux. Oh, boy. Okay. Let's, <laughs> I think we have a new game that we need to invent. Let's kickstart this. Big Trouble Little China, the miniatures game. It's already basically been done. Oh, really? Damn. Okay. Like, seriously, there's about a dozen models. Or not quite a dozen. But there's probably at least about seven or eight models in Malifaux that are, like, <laughs> spinoffs from that. Concerning. But somehow gremlins? Or pigs. <laughs> Concerning. <laughs> Like, but yeah, oh. now you have an actual look-alike uh, with like his little machine pistol and the big fucking hunting knife-looking thing, too. And it'll be fun, because I can just throw him in with, uh, this is not a test, and why the yeah, fuck not? Totally. Because Kurt Russell would totally hang out with Gordon Chumley. Why not? Yeah. Just be the crossover episode that everybody was waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I understand why you wanted to shut up and take my money now. Yeah, it makes sense. Segment. Mine is pretty straightforward. Um, it's one that I think I've talked about before, but I want to do a bit of a shout-out reminder. Uh, a company called Rain City Hobbies out of uh, Vancouver. They make tufts and also, like, resin bases and stuff like that. But uh, a friend of mine was looking at getting some tufts, and um, a lot of the companies that make them, it's either the... Army Painter. Army Painter makes one yellow mm-hmm. flower tuft. Yeah, which that's I use a ton. Um, or companies in the UK where it's like 30 bucks to get them shipped. Yep. So these guys... There's actually a lot of really good companies in Europe, but that is very much the thing, is getting it over to North America is a pain in the dick. So these guys, uh, they do the... They do regular tufts. They do also the flower tufts, just like the army painter ones, with one main difference. Multiple colors? It's custom. So you can get the actual stock or, like, stem of the flower in any of the colors they make tufts. Yep. So, like, the browns, the greens, any variations thereof. That's awesome. And then they have four different colors of flower. There is red, purple, blue, and yellow. And so you can get any of those colors on That's any of those stocks. Awesome. Huh. So, and there, I think something like six fifty US for a, a sheet. That's really solid. And That's the same cost as the Army Painter stuff. Yeah, and it's also shipped out of Vancouver. So, especially well, if you're Canadian. That's what I'm saying. If it's shipped out of uh, Vancouver, it's the same cost. It as might actually Canadian. cost more than if you get it shipped out of the U.S. because shipping domestically in Canada is such a pain in the ass. Like, but it's going to be the, cheaper than fucking Europe. Yes, it's yeah. going to be cheaper than getting and you're supporting stuff, like, Canadian Europe. And it's you're supporting local, and they also do like resin base add-ons, like uh, skeletons and little yep. resin flowers, lots of really cool stuff like that. But check them out. Um, what was the name of them again? Rain City Hobbies. Cool. I got to take a look at that. I wonder why they call it that when they're in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. So I did get a chance to see them in person when I was at uh, TACX a couple years ago, and they look as good in person as they do on their on their website. Nice. I got to so. get some for sure. Okay, mine is – I'll start with my actual uh, one, which is super lame. I got a chess clock. It's cool. Because 40K needs those. Yeah. Uh, I actually have to say – I. It's probably good for the game. It's good for the game. It avoids a lot of the feels bads when somebody is just inadvertently slow playing. Um, it's not necessarily because I, I don't. I think a lot of people don't intentionally slow play. Slow play. The majority of slow play, quote unquote, is just somebody not knowing their army, taking their time, and it's just then you get screwed up a couple turns. 
Um, yeah, if you spend five minutes flipping through your list of stratagems or whatever, that'll add up quickly over the course of a game. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I, yeah, it's not ideal, but I think it's good. So I got a nice little Leap one on Amazon, super cheap. Uh, and then the real one that I actually want to plug is uh, so our Sevens mats. Yeah. Those look cool. Yeah, and when I say ours, the, park. the Hobby Night in Canada uh, Blood Bowl Sevens uh, mats, if you haven't seen them, they're an ice rink. It's pretty awesome. I'm going to have them in my grubby mitts in two and a half weeks. Yep, you haven't seen them, and you like Blood Bowl, go buy one. Yeah, from Maelstrom Gaming Mats. And he doesn't have a ton. Um, I think he's probably going to sell out and have to do a second run sooner than later, because they're fucking awesome. Yep. And I'm taking a lot. <laughs> yeah, they, they turned out, I, like, I say, expected them to look good just from the concept. Same. They're better than expected. If you're, if you're buying them, I'm guessing we are not making any money on these. <laughs> No, no, we're not making money. We're not licensing our logo? Too bad. We're not there yet, is what you're saying? Um, no, (laughs) we're not. Well, even the stuff that we make ourselves, we generally lose money on because half of it doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, hey, buy a (laughs) t-shirt. You want gray ones not from the U.S.? I've got a box next to my computer just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah, so what I was trying to get at is uh, we're not trying to plug it because we get any sort of deal on this. Go buy them because they're awesome. Yeah, and that was just kind of it, right? Is it was Jack and I were talking, um, and I had the thought of like, man, our logo would look so good in the middle of a hockey rink. Yeah, and I was turns like, out it does. Turns out it really does. And I was like, that'd be a really good sevens pitch idea because the lines on a sevens pitch line up like perfectly with what you would have in a hockey rink. So, yeah. fuck, it, it's been a long time in the making because he is stressed about every little detail on these pitches yeah and the, like i mean the injured players section is perfect it's just it's bang on they're awesome well there's an oilers number 64 jersey in the dead pile which for anyone who knows the oilers is fucking fantastic for neil yakupov yeah because it's, it's not even that it was yakupov it was yakupov for the first two years of his career in edmonton because he eventually switched back to 10 the only reason he had 64 in the first place because it added 6 and 4 add to 10, and he wanted to have the same number as Pat Whereas uh, Skorkoff had already exactly. burned up our number 10. Yep. So, Anything. yeah, check those out. They're amazing. Uh, I think they're like 75-ish. Don't quote me on it, but they're worth every goddamn penny. Cool. And I remembered another thing that I bought from, what is it? Unreal. It's, it's like shit. Unreal Wargaming Studios or something like that. Okay. They have a they have a website and a store and all the things, and I just can't quite remember the name, because that's the problem with this site, is I always intend to buy stuff from them, but I can't remember what they're called. You spend, <laughs> like, an hour trying to find, like... I going to say, you're really selling it right now. United Kingdom 40K Basing Company. Surprisingly, there's a few. Yep. Um, but yeah, they do uh, mostly a range of urban rubble bases. Nice. And I have a bunch... Um, I have a bunch in... I don't even know how many from Secret Weapon Miniatures, but... At that time, they didn't have 32 mil bases yet, so okay. I bought a bunch with the intention of doing um, like mostly World Eater Space Marines. And if I'm going to do those ones for Kill Team, I don't want to put them on 25 mil bases because like sure the models that I'm converting are bigger and bulkier and more melee oriented than the standard Marine anyway. So like yeah, they would look ridiculous on 25s. So uh, my intention to buy a handful of bases for doing a Kill Team, as it always does, uh, snowballed rapidly. Uh, into me buying just shitloads more 40k bases, so like a couple of Dreadnought bases, some Terminator bases, but nice. mostly just a shitload of 32s, because I've got a lot of the 25s and a couple of the 40s, and maybe like a Dreadnought base already. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so I have 
resin, uh, urban, sweet-looking bases for doing up potentially world leaders. Nice. Cool. That's exciting. One day you'll get that army done, because more than one model. Yeah. The first one <laughs> looks really good. It looks really good. I'm very happy with him. Yeah. But shockingly, I saw the date stamp on the file on my phone, and that model was painted five years ago. Oh, actually? Yeah. Because oh, no. I, I think I lived here when I you painted did. that. I remember you painted that here. And I have not lived here in four and a half years. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we should move on. Okay, so the Warhound Titan. We started touching on that, yeah. Uh, that, that's a thing. Somebody, so they, one of the things that people might not, or might be confused as to how you can bring a Warhound Titan to a tournament is LVO allows Forge World, and they lifted the power restriction because there were some very broken Forge World units way back in the day. The Warhound Titan is just, in my opinion, actually pretty fairly costed. And in that one of, feels like 2,000 points. And in one of the more recent uh, chapter proofs, I think at launch, um, when it just was in the index, it was about 1,500 points. Yeah. But via chapter approved or one of the erratas or whatever, they upped it to 2,000. Yeah, which is, which is about right. Like I said, it's... Uh, it, I'm not going to go through the stats here, but the point is, that is a different list. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where... I think about, because I normally, and, and honestly, the conversation for me starts with, I normally take fairly rounded lists, no matter any oh, yeah. game that I'm playing. The tack, the typical tack list, take all cards. Yeah, that's kind of what I like to play. Yeah, I think most people have always strived for that, actually. I don't know. I know a lot of people that go for skews. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the typical tournament advice is, is bring a, a tack list, right? That's what everybody's always pushed for so long. So... <clears throat> okay, let, let me let's clarify some uh, language here because I think take all comers and balanced are not necessarily the same thing. So okay. I would argue the conventional orc list these days, yeah. with its like ninety to one hundred and fifty boys, yeah. the sixty to ninety Gretchen, twenty five Ludas, yeah. and then whatever the fuck else you want, yeah. is not a balanced army. That's a that's a really that's a pretty big that's a pretty big infantry skew. Like that's a that's a fucking horde army, man. Yeah, but that's what work should look like. Is it all the time? Uh, y- yeah. I mean, unless you're doing speed freaks. I mean, traditional orcs. No, but like, so for me, a balanced army would be that like has some speed freaks components, has some infantry components. Like, I, I don't know about that because the speed freaks are always a separate clan. That's like saying a balanced army has to have ultramarines and dark angels in my mind. Yeah, but that's not actually how orcs work because speed freaks are not a clan. Yeah, I realize that, but I you're mean, confusing speed freaks with evil sons. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil Sons is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I guess you can have Speed Freaks and every, everything. Yeah, but I mean, there's a, there's still, in all these Orc lists, there's still trucks. There's still a few small 10-man units. Like, they're, they're, they're pretty balanced. I think you might be I, on a bit of a limb. Maybe that's a bit of a limb, but, yeah. like, I think... I want to just make sure we're not associating those two things always. Okay. A, because a skew can potentially be a take-all-comers. Yeah, you can have a skewed list that in itself is good at taking all comers, sure. but it's not that all comers are going to have a fair shot against you. All right. I'll give you, I'll give you that. Right. I'll give so, you that. But I think in my mind, like, okay, so a balanced list is no matter what somebody brings, you have the tools to deal with it. And that in my mind is also tack, right? It's, it's, you have a toolbox that you have a little bit of shooting, a little bit of close combat, some sort of counter punch, some mobility, that sort of the balanced take all comers kind of thing. Right. Like, I think the skew list is something that foregoes one aspect of that heavy. The problem with the take all, with like a take all comers by that definition is that it can't take all comers if you encounter a heavy enough skew. 
Oh, I agree. So this is where I it comes agree. into, like, when I look at an Orc list that I build, being typically more balanced with a bit yeah. of everything, Yeah. Um, I don't know what the fuck I would do against a Warhound. I can't beat it, really. Like, outside of spike dice, and more spike dice, so, and a bit of luck on deployment and the opponent having no idea how to play Warhound, but I'm guessing this guy's played a few games of this Warhound. Yeah, I imagine if you're one of the people that will invest in a Warhound, you probably know what 40k is. Like, $710, let's, let's also... We were also talking about this from a diff, little bit of a different standpoint. That might be one of the cheaper armies at Vegas. Which and, is and maybe even easier to trans, easiest to transport. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird concept to think about a Warhound being a cheap army, but um, I think... I'm not... I'm really interested to see how it goes, because, like, I think he's going to just shoot some people absolutely off the board, and there's going to be, like... It's going to be brutal because you're not going to have enough to deal with. Like, they're toughness nines. So if you don't bring, like, anti armor and lots of it, you're in trouble. However. Good thing it only has 35 wounds. 35 wounds with void shields, too. So it's got an always four up armor save or invol, and it works against mortal wounds. Only if shooting. But that so. save does degrade as its profile yep. diminishes as yep. well. So it starts at a four up and then goes down to a, eventually a seven plus, which is a bit weird. I guess you just don't get to save. Yeah. Not sure how or, is, or do they still have the six plus, six plus four plus? No. It has a 3-plus armor save, and I think it might even be a 2-plus. It has a conventional armor save, and it has a 4-plus void shield save, which is an invul that works against all shooting attacks and mortal wounds. Yep. But when it becomes 7-plus, I mean, like... Because back in the day... I imagine there's probably a stratagem somewhere down the pipe that gives you a plus one. There may be a spell or a stratagem or some bloody thing that gives you a plus one to a a save, which would then bump it back up to To a a possible save. It's, it's, it is weirdly phrased that way, but it does technically have yeah. seven plus instead of like an asterisk or whatever. Yeah, a little weird, but that's not that's kind of secondary. The the thing that's interesting about it is, so it doesn't interact with terrain at all, right? It has zero way to interact with terrain. Okay, uh, if you play on a board that has um, close combat, uh, like you play an army that has a ton of close combat and abilities to get into buildings, I think it'll be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, the building rules could certainly be a problem, because um, I don't know if we actually had a segment on it like we kept talking about doing, but uh, no. ITC is doing uh, buildings a little bit differently from just like the straight rule. Could have sworn we covered that, but if we if we haven't for we threatened bit, to a lot, but I don't know if we ever did. Interesting. So they're gonna have uh, they have a rule around enclosed runes. So everybody's talking about them about magic boxes. If you haven't heard about them, um, they're basically a rune that you cannot see through on any side. Uh, so just like runes, infantry can move through it, no problem. Um, however, nothing else can. So if you bring an army that has no infantry, you cannot go inside. You can't have line of sight to it. Uh, so you could potentially just hide infantry units in a, in a building and not, like, the Warhound just has nothing to do. So by that same token, if you have a really hard-hitting close combat unit, like, I mean, maybe, like, Deathwing Knights? That actually might not be terrible, where you could get them into combat via deep striking him into a building and then using some sort of way of charging out or whatever. It's not a terrible plan. But... Unless you just get overwatched off the board. Well, this thing about, <laughs> this thing about runes is if they can't draw a line of sight to you, you can't oh, watch. So you declare the charge, they don't From have a line inside of sight the building. overwatch, and then they get to charge you? Yeah, because then you ignore that Infernal Flamer thing that's 46 strength yeah. 7, AP minus 2, flat 3 damage, which is fucking nuts, or flat 4 damage. I think it's flat 4. Yeah, it's it's crazy, whatever it is. Yeah, so, yeah, that's one of the skew lists. We were kind of talking about, just in general, skew lists and what they are and what the, how they work. And it was kind of funny, because 
I was thinking of this <clears throat> a little bit uh, almost because I've been playing a little bit more War Machine lately. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's where Marine kind of started with this idea. And then when I mentioned it, then you also mentioned this this uh, Warhound nonsense. I was like, oh fuck, this guy. This <laughs> like, guy. If he wins, if he goes four and two, he's an absolute hero. That is the biggest win big lose big list. I've I, ever I want seen him to win life. the LVO. I'm sorry, like Steve. If he wins all the respects, LVO, but I want this guy to win, dude. If he wins the LVO, people are gonna lose their shit. And I would be shocked, frankly, if he wins the entire thing. But I think he's certainly gonna ruin some people's matchups. Like, oh my that's god, that's a rough draw for for a lot of lists. I think. Yeah, the thing the thing it comes back to is like, okay, so he plays against an Imperial uh, Guard tank company. He's gonna kill two tanks real bad. But then it, with the number of LAS cannons and uh, just sheer anti-tank weapons that a guard army can span. And that's, that's the thing, is that guard army, it was not probably the most competitive thing, right? Yeah. Like, against your orc list, you're cool. Take all the LAS cannons you want. Take 20 LAS cannons. I don't give a fuck. Exactly, right? Actually, no, the orcs that I would run would really care. <laughs> okay, sure, but if you, take, if you take 90 boys and you have 20 LAS cannons in your list, cool. Right, like one thirty boy unit that hits that uh, that line, it's basically going to fold that imperial list. Yeah. However, that same imperial list is going to give that uh, that night titan fits, especially if you can hide them. Not all. even night titan, that titan. Yeah, that titan. Because if you can hide those infantry squads or whatever you're doing in chimeras or buildings and just weather that first turn because again it's well, only going to be able to kill two units just anything that has msu because yeah, yeah. you're going to have ridiculous overkill on two targets yeah but you can't split those up i mean like dark eldar just ridiculous haywire plus a ton of like scourges and stuff that can deep strike and doesn't have to start on the board or is easy to hide or whatever like there's a lot of counters to it but they're not super popular counters and it's feasible that he dodges a lot of them. And the other thing too is that most armies aren't going to have more than a couple of those units, and if they're the first to die, yeah. like, you have to be so careful. Oh, because we, have we mentioned yet that the Warhound Titan can walk over enemy infantry models, ignore them completely, Yeah, and it has a 24-inch move, yeah. and an 18-inch auto-hit flamer? Yeah, exactly. So its threat radius is <clears throat> fucking crazy. Yeah, and Basically if, half the board. If you trap it in combat with, like, non-infantry models, like, let's say you trap it with a brood of Carnifexes, it can shoot within mo- uh, models within one inch of itself. As long, it, it just can't shoot Titanic models yeah. in base-to-base, but any other in any other type of model within one inch of it, it can totally shoot while engaged. I think my favorite yeah. part about this list is how few secondaries it gives out. Yeah, like, totally. Like, what do you, you kill more? Well, that's on the primaries. On the primaries, you get, yeah, you're going to get kill more maybe one turn, if you're lucky. You have to kill it. Yeah, and I'm saying, and you have to kill it on a turn where it didn't kill one thing before that. Which, I guess you only can really get that by going first? Yeah, like, it's it's tough <laughs> to get that on the primary. And then on the secondaries, you're totally right. Like, Headhunter, no. Big Game Hunter, you get one point. Isn't there, like, a Titan Slayer yeah, or something? Yeah, so you'll get Titan so Slayer like one. for four. And then yeah. after that, like, what, you're going to take Old School and try and go for First Strike? You have to take Recon. You have to take Recon and behind enemy lines. Like that's it, but yeah. Like I had a I had a very brief conversation. Uh, not even conversation is giving way too much credit to it. But like um, I talked to Jeff Robinson like very 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 briefly about this. And aside from laughing, that was his first reaction. Was yeah. Like he's like, well, it might not win games, but it really screws over a lot of people on secondaries because yeah. it is so unconventional and it gives up so few points in that way. I I absolutely still, love, still struggle to win on objectives I a lot love of the this, time. This guy because it's just such a ridiculous meta call. Like just fuck it, orc lists. 
Also, you know what? Fuck that Castellan. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> that was kind of the boogeyman going into this event. Calls Wrath with the Nova Cannon. I see your Calls Wrath and I raise you a plasma blast gun plus an <laughs> Inferno Cannon. <laughs> like, because there's a very realistic chance it one-shots that fucking Castellan. And with the Flamer. If he, <laughs> if he either names his Warhound John Wick or whatever John Wick's dog was, yeah. because he was the, like, the guy that you call when you need to kill the boogeyman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that would man. be fucking awesome. I'm so excited for that movie, by the way. <laughs> I'm actually, like, I'm, I, when I, as soon as I saw that, I immediately had this, like, desire of, like, first of all, so there's so many things about this that I love. The, the meta call is great. That's just hilarious. And then from, like, the hobby standpoint, you could take this to a tournament and spend a year on it and do very well, easy to transport, relatively. Well, especially if the arms are separate yeah, magnetized, exactly. the torso is separate magnetized, it actually wouldn't be that bad. Wouldn't be that bad. You could do a really cool display board for it, do all the lighting and that kind of stuff, do lots of freehand on it. You could do, do a really cool base. Yeah, you could lavish you only got to do one. You got to do one base, one model. It's just actually... Like, with the rubric system, having it match itself is really easy. It's yeah. automatic points. Yeah, you just win on the rubric system. Coherent I mean, army scheme? Yeah, you literally one model. The freehand on the majority of your army? Boom. <laughs> like, there's, there's a part of me that really... Plastic card for a banner. Single plastic card rivet on the base or something. Plastic card for the banner. <laughs> no, right. you know what I really want to do? I really want to loot one of these fuckers and take that as my death skills okay, on me next year. That is... Uh, buy legit stuff, don't buy knockoff things. Just want to caveat this. That is a case for China Cast Forge World <laughs> if I've ever heard of one. If you're going to cut up before, uh, like, a Titan... I don't know. You might want to go knockoff. <laughs> I feel like if I go knockoff... Just to have spare parts. Yeah, <laughs> in like, case you fuck something up, <laughs> that's like yeah, that's like taking a, like a brand new car and like putting over fenders on it, like cutting into a fresh, brand new car. Expensive, yeah, but goddamn, it looks so good. It would look good on the bright side. Forge World doesn't have a warranty to void. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, it, and like we were joking about this, seven hundred bucks for an army is actually not. It's cheaper that. than most of the knight armies. Actually, it's cheaper than most armies. If you take three gallons and a Castellan. You, the Warhound is cheaper. Just straight up, so. I'm trying to think, like, what armies would be cheaper than it? Like, fucking Grey Knights, if you just take all Terminators or something weird? Or, sure, uh, not Grey Knights, Custodes. 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 I mean, Custodes, because Grey Knights just not a thing. Even if you took Foot Custodes, way cheaper. Yeah. Way, way cheaper. Um, eh, actually, you know what? Each box of Custodes is 70 bucks. So, I mean, it's probably cheaper. I mean, it depends on how but many not by that players. much for two thousand points, right? Yeah. Like, you think about a thousand. Especially points. when a lot of the characters just dropped in points and chapter approved as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it'd be cheaper. I think like my my Eldar list, I think is more straight up. Like the the uh, Yinkarn and Yvrain, that triumvirate was one hundred and fifty bucks or whatever alone. Elder adds forty bucks. Each one of those characters is forty five dollars. Yeah, I only have nine of them. <laughs> okay, so let's take this back to the original point. Um, we had a point? Well, it's talking I'm about skew. skews, right? And I think the advantage to the skew list is that you don't have to learn as many interactions to play it. So they typically are like a, a lower cognitive load as a gamer because you yeah. you know your yeah. trick, you know what you're going to do, it either works or it doesn't. Yeah, it's the same mentality that people used to have playing like in X-Wing. They would play like a fat hand list instead of an eight tie swarm. Because over the course of like a six game grind of a tournament, controlling two models instead of eight is like an immense difference. Oh, huge. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, I mean, that's basically the entire premise of a knight army in general, right? Three knights, you have no psychic phase, you shoot and you punch stuff. Yeah. Right? Even a, even a Taoist could be argued that's a bit of a skew because you really don't have any close combat or psychic. It, yeah, it depends. Yeah, I mean, a little different because you still got a lot more over top of that. But, like, yeah, you, you're, you're basically giving up one part of the game to really focus on another. Yeah, and in this case, you're giving up multiple parts of the game to focus on another. Shooting. You're giving up everything to focus on shooting. And movement, really. And yep. you're pretty much giving up on all stratagems, because what fucking stratagems does a knight have access to? You get, what, like two rerolls a game? Do they? Three. You have three. Because <laughs> <laughs> so you have a super heavy auxiliary, which gives you no command points, so you get three rerolls. Or you could fight first in close combat once. And which, get a reroll. Which, given that it has <laughs> 12 strength, 10 attacks at minus three armor save and flat three damage each. Starting at weapon skill five. True. Who I always forget that it has a shit weapon skill base. Shit weapon skill. But still, like that's if you spike some fives, that can just fucking trample anything. Yeah, which is appropriate. It's a tight strength ten AP minus three three damage. It's like no joke. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) It's really cool. I I'm actually kind of shocked that you think it's cool, because like the one like the knights and that kind of stuff like used to be a little bit of a boogeyman on their own. So I think it'll be. Really fucking cool. If the thing's actually painted well, if it's not painted well, you had one model to paint, man. You had, I, you had one model. <laughs> here's my my uh, my guess: not painted well. So here's the thing. This is this is where I come from. Normally, I, I'm not a big fan of skews because I think that they. It's almost like they take the sportsmanship out of the game in a lot of ways. For me personally, yeah, you're not playing the same game. You're just like you go do your own exactly. thing. Exactly. I'm not going to play with you. So the reason I love this as much as I do is that it's not like four knights and a guard battalion for the com- command points. Yep. This is just the tight. Like there's there's no part of this where you're gaming the system. Yeah. Like there's no little tweak where you're adding in this kind of ally to make this it, no, it's it's just this one fucking model and it's either going to wreck face or die and that's it. Like, yeah, it's very it's, binary. It's so cool about in that regard because I have to admit I absolutely love it. There's, there's no chicanery. Like as as yeah. funny as it of a skew as it is, it's probably the most honest skew I've ever seen. Yeah, because it actually has downsides. Yeah, well, honest skews, you're going so heavy in one direction, and you have like immense benefits in one yeah. one or two specific ways. It's totally fucking badass. But this has some glaring fucking holes in it too. Like yeah. Oh my god, I. I feel so bad for him the day he plays against like 20 Har- like so the guy that skews like I don't like knights I'm gonna bring 20 harlequin bikes and just like haywires at turn one <laughs> like that would be what like it's possible yeah it's also possible that, that person like sloughs their die rolls and then all of the bikes die and yeah still, totally and he still gets I mean yeah you can hit it with uh, psychic powers to drop his save you can jinx him or whatever yeah but he still gets that save against those mortal wounds because they're ranged attacks. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Because that's the other thing that's interesting about it. Jinx says you have minus one to all saves. And it calls it a save against mortal wounds. It's a save that ignores AP modifiers and works against mortal Jinx wounds. Jinx works against invuls. Yeah, it, that's how it's worded. It's a save that ignores modifiers. I, I want to know how the... the Sorry, it ignores AP modifiers. Counts as an invul, but it can also be taken against mortal wounds. Well, I don't. it doesn't count as an invul. It just functions similar it to... Says it says it counts as an invul, as far as I know. That is also... Either way, sure, whatever. Wounds. So I think you can jinx its save against mortal wounds. But if something's a 5 up against mortal wounds, which is fucking legit. Yeah, totally. It's just weird. I'm not... Like, again, I, I honestly don't know how you rule that. 
Like, for real. Like That would be a really good thing to ask before the game starts. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Because that ain't going to matter. Yep. Man, but it's fucking cool. Um, and I, it, yeah, I just really hope he paints it well. Yeah. Because that takes it from being your fucking hobby legend to, like, eh, you're just a little cheeky. Like, if it's not painted well, in my mind, that really knocks it down. Yep, I agree. But And it doesn't have to be, like, rock star level painting, but if it's just, like, clean with a bit of detail work... I would love that. Yep. I, I'm really interested to see how it how it how it looks. Like if it's like the best looking thing there and like wins like best painted army, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, I I'd have to give him a pretty big tip of the cap yeah. for that. Yeah, that would we'll be, see. That would be at least four high five territory. Yeah, totally. Anywho. Yeah. Um man. So I had so many other things I wanted to talk about, but fuck it. Um <laughs> we'll just leave it there because that was such a cool take. Yeah, that it. Fuck. If that wins, it'll be the hottest take of the year. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. All these, everybody that's meta chasing and trying to figure out all these little things. Some guys just like fuck it, one model. It's the scariest thing. It's literally the best model for two thousand points. Single model that you can fit in that. Like that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's so amazing. Yeah, I want one so bad now. <laughs> How much is a revenant? Per points or dollars or both? Uh, no, but now now you can't do that. Now I can't bring a revenant to LEO next year. That's just dumb. Well, they used to have those torrenty flamer sonic weapons. Yeah, if they had long range auto hit shenanigans, oh, again, that could because be because it's one person, like it would have actually I think lost a bit of charm if two people had done this. I don't know if it was like a gaming group yeah. and they all did it. Yeah, maybe if they're buddies, but like the fact that it's one guy. Just, like, the boldest motherfucker of all time. Could you imagine if there were two people in the tournament and they actually drew each other and it's just, like, a warhound off? Yeah. That'd <laughs> like, be amazing. Who goes first? Hooray! Well, it's just, like, did you guys see there was that photo of people playing 40k scale Adeptus Titanicus? I did see that photo. No. Where it's, like, guys had a bunch of, like, knights and warhounds, and I think that they make the... They make everything the up to the Reaver. Yeah. They make it all the way up to the Warlord, man. Um, but yeah, there was those models and they had like, they were playing on the ground and they used like basically like these, uh, Knights of Dice buildings Yeah, like, that a bunch of those buildings. set up yeah. like they would be the That's sector cool. Imperial sort of fuck it's called. But it was like a 40 foot by 40 foot table or something. That makes sense. Like, it was like the size of like a room. Yeah. That's amazing. It was really cool. Yeah, Cause they're great. like walking around moving their models on the table. That's a bit much. <laughs> I like it. It was epic. Uh, anyways, so. Moving on to something a little bit smaller scale. Uh, I actually finally got around to trying out the secret weapon washes in secret the last weapon. couple weeks. Army Not Army Panic, sorry. Yes. Okay. Um, I, was, I was hoping we tried the same product. because that, Yes. That's how secret they are. They're, they switched the labels. Yeah. So this Just is... To confuse you. This is the first Army Painter product I've used since the one time I tried their primer. And you've been pretty sour on their products in general. Yeah. It's because they're shit, for the most part. Okay. Um, I'm interested to know. We haven't actually talked about this before the podcast, so I actually don't know what you think of it. So, in terms of washes, yeah. um, they seem to be decent quality. However, I think that they really suffer from a lot of the same limitations that the Games Workshop washes do. Interesting. In that they have far fewer good uses than I think most people think. Um, there's a lot of textures and surfaces that I find that the, the traditional washes do not really work well on because they'll if there's remotely a larger flatter area they pool in weird ways and i found that the army painter ones did not 
handle that any differently than the Games Workshop ones. And so, like for example, if like when I was working on the Cephalix models, specifically the Cephalix, not the Dredges, they have long flowing cloaks. And so, what I was trying to do is like starting with a very um, like the Menoth white base, a very light cream color. Um, and then I was like, you know what? This is a good example because I have the soft, the strong, and the dark yep. tones. Yep. So it's like, let's try a wash of the soft, and then a more selective wash of the dark, and an even more selective, or the strong, then an even more selective wash of the dark. Yep. Um, just to see how that would work. Um, and I found that on the larger flowing folds, it still had that really unfortunate pooling. Interesting. Okay. Where? See, I don't. Did, did you doctor the washes at all? Because I find that any wash, it doesn't matter what company, this goes. For, it's just a fact of having a thin paint. Like their surface tension is a thing that you need to deal with. I always use a bit of uh, the golden um, matte medium. So I, in a few different spots on a few different places with these models, I did mix in some of the golden matte medium. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't know mine's golden. It's. it's some acrylic mad medium. Yeah. Liquitex or somebody thing. Yeah, mine's Liquitex. Yeah. And uh, but it, it's good, but at the same time, in those larger folds, like so for example, in that area, it still had the weird pool. Okay. Um whereas yeah. when I was doing it on like the wrappings on the drudge's legs and stuff, mm-hmm. it worked quite nicely to be able to go um f- full coverage of the light. Sure. Less coverage of the medium, even then kind of like lining with the dark, sure. was actually a good product. And one of the things that I really like about these three washes is that Games Workshop has basically one dark brown. Yeah, yeah I agree. There is agree. no gradient. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Colors. There's Agrox Earth shade. Seraphim Sepia, but it's a different tone. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's a sepia instead yeah. of a brown. You, where can, it, you can get away with sort of, if you were stuck with GW product, you could get away with using those two as your brown, quote-unquote, washes. Yeah, and so I really liked using them on the metallics. Yeah, okay. Uh, I really liked using them on the smaller, like, wrappings and stuff. But, you know, the more painting I'm doing, the more I'm a bigger fan of those larger cloth areas just actually doing some kind of, like, a spit blend to get the shades in those areas. I think you're right. I think you're totally right. And spit blending and glazing, they, just by virtue of not being as thinned down, they they actually have more surface tension, which keeps the paint where you put it. Yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of people, when they're using washes or whatever, they're just like, oh, you just put the surfactant in it. You put the surface tension break. Well, I don't think a wash... And if you're doing that on on a a cloth is a good plan. Yeah, because it, it will pool way too much just because, again, you're breaking the surface tension... So where there is that large flat area for it to pool, it's going to. Yeah, I think the way to paint cloth, like, and that's that's kind of the thing, is you just paint it your darkest color, and then you blend up the lighter areas. I think you just use paints. Or, I, or I, realistically, I disagree. I or realistically, it's a shitload of, of slowly built up glazes that you can control the pooling. Yeah, yeah totally. Or you use spit blend, and it's fucking easy, yeah. and doesn't have any of that bullshit. You just slap it on... on Undiluted and then just blur the edges. Yeah, but uh, which I would highly recommend is the way to do this because it's sure, way yeah. faster and looks really good. Some people are um, better at that. I, I would rather do it uh, my typical way with the way I do all my cloth because I just find it easier for me. It takes a lot longer. Which is why for this next year, I'd recommend work on that technique. Sure, if you, want you to were talking faster. about you were talking about being faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like in terms of like for me, I think that they were. They were, it was a, it was a kind of almost more of like a cute product than maybe something I'm like really in love with. Yeah. I used it a lot 
like any chance I could on those Cephalix models because I was really like, let's let's really try and break these in. So one of the things that I know, um, the reason that I started painting with it and I, I found it very useful is uh, a painter uh, goes by the name of Painting Buddha Online, uh, uses it to paint leather and does the sketch style uh, like you use sketch style a lot, but it's not a sketch style thing. He just does it's that really heavily textured scratchy. No, no. I'm just talking about like he, he does his black primer and then his white primer to give you the idea of where the highlights yeah. are coming from. But he does a very almost like a fuzzier white primer so that when uh, like I don't even know how to describe it. He talks about it a bit in some of his videos um, about using it's not an airbrush, specifically a spray can. So you get a little bit more texture. Out yeah, because basically with the spray can, you're getting less like more of the specs. Yeah, less aerosolization. Yeah. Atomization. Atomization, That's yeah. Um, and then what he does is he basically paints all his leather with just the st- uh, strong tones. Strong tone and dark tones. Yeah, so I can see that. I, f- for me, I actually would prefer an ink because I found that when I was using them over just a it's white primer. Really interesting because I find this is a halfway between an ink and a wash. Whereas, so using it just a over wing. white... It was still, because washes typically are designed to flow more in the recesses. Yeah, totally. So it had less coverage over that surface, whereas with an ink, I can control that more and actually get more of a gradient over that full surface instead of just barely anything in the raised area and then a lot pooling in the recesses. So it was it was cool, but ultimately when I was, because I did something similar-ish on the, um, the one uh, pistol wraith that I did. Where I definitely I painted up with the browns, uh, and then did a lot more of that kind of. I'm trying to remember what is is it Percival's painting or oh that like is it the Thomas Picard the guy that did that really cool the cool like Necro units like Necromunda oh, okay yeah I think that's I think it's some Polish name or possibly Czech or something so yeah. I cannot reproduce the spelling yeah. or but you know the guy where, where he had that that thing where basically he was using XV88. Yeah, in, like back and forth with his, washes. His technique for doing leather, which I thought maybe you were getting at um, with like the sketch style and the washes, as uh, Thomas or Tomas, what he does is he basically does like a base coat of XV88 or whatever leather color, like you know, highlight kind of color you want. Like do solid coverage and just wash the thing with Agrax, let it dry, and then just paint really heavily with scratches almost everywhere but the recesses, and give it another full strength wash of Agrax. And just do that like a half dozen times in a row, pulling back slightly on the amount of highlighting you do every time. But you're only ever using those two colors. And it somehow looks like ancient battered leather and it looks amazing. That makes sense because it's a similar-ish idea where you Mm -hmm. basically just apply a shitload of those washes over that modeled texture. Whereas for me, I ended up doing like a little bit more of that manual shading. Which again for me at this stage of my painting is really quick. And then did more of that textured like stippled kind of highlights on the leather. And then being able to use just a brown ink, I can control exactly how much that's going. And I find that um, the inks also don't dry as matte. That was actually one of the things that I was a little bit almost disappointed in. And I find most washes do this, where they dry almost ultra matte yeah, compared which is to kind an of ink. Point. Which, which is, is, but also it makes the shadows appear less dark. So if it's matte, it's not... Because matte finishes have less contrast, right? Yeah. So... It almost is counterintuitive to what you want it to do. Because I, I look at it, when I look agree. at it wet, 
I'd be like, all right, great. The recesses are as dark as I need them to be. And then it dries and it loses that contrast. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that because I like the fact that it, t- it opaques things a little bit and turns brings down that contrast a little bit. I find it, it does it a little bit too sure. much. Sure. Uh, and that was both with, because I'm used to using the, um, when I use inks, I normally mix in a little bit of that matte medium. Yeah. Both for sure. being able to use just for the surface inks, inks in my mind are just I mean they're they're completely gloss. Really, at the end of the day, so I've always found inks to be the opposite. Like it's, it, this is these in my mind are right between an ink and a wash for those sort of colors. They're not like a GW wash where that almost is so. Uh, I don't even know what the right term is where where it can almost like frost and go cloudy. I found it surprisingly like because I use a lot of inks. Okay, sure. And I found it was way closer to the GW wash than it is to an ink. Sure. Okay. Fair. Um, and like overall, because they're what like three fifty Canadian a pot. I, I was going like to say that. it sounds like this isn't necessarily an issue with the product. It sounds like it just doesn't fit with your painting style at all. Well, it's it's ultimately it's not that I will still use them. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can still see uses for them. Yeah. I definitely just I feel that it is. Maybe a little bit more of a niche product than I would have hoped. Interesting. Interesting. With how much it was hyped up. And ultimately, Army Painter is specialized to be a way to get average or maybe slightly above average paint jobs very easily. For like anybody can use these products and make a, a solid looking army. In a few steps. Because I I was going to say, I would give them... You're totally right. And that's the thing is, I think that they... For painting brown tones or yellow tones or anything in that sort of same tonal region, uh, I think they're incredible. I would would give them a solid four out of five for sure. I think they're great. I think they're the best brown washes on the the market. I was one of the people hyping them up to you. Yeah. And, like, they're, they're good. Like yeah. and I, like I said, I'm still going to use them, and I think they've got more of an application, uh, maybe for metallics for me. But I think, oddly enough, I'm probably never going to use these outside of lower quality batch painting. Interesting. Okay. Because much like the name implies, Army Painter, like one of the problems that I found is even on the metallics I was working on when I would uh, when I would use them is that even trying and. Okay, maybe this is the biggest issue I had with them. So one of the things I like to do is with washes or with inks, I still will feather them back out. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I found with these ones, I could glob it onto the larger area, and if I feathered it back out, it wouldn't really give me much of a gradient. It would still just give me kind of that line around the bottom where it pools. It wouldn't actually really give – like it didn't give much color variation outside of the deep recesses, which – you know, if you're just wanting a quick shade, and ultimately they are just kind of a quick shade. Well, that's the thing. They're not going to give you anything. There are a lot of very high-end painters that swear by them. So I find it very interesting that you're like, this is for the lower-end, quick army painting kind of stuff. Because that would go against some of the more uh, prevailing sort of thoughts around these these products. And I guess for me, it's just I find, and maybe it's because I've spent so much of the last year or two just working with paint. Yeah, and I, I yeah I don't disagree you know? that if you can if you can work with just paint and change your uh, your consistency of paint through mediums and that kind of stuff, I think that's probably better. But in my mind, this is the reason that we have like you, you could blend all your paints from three colors if you wanted to, uh, but we don't do that. We have premixed paints because it's quicker. In my mind, these are a great great compromise of speed versus quality. I think okay compared to any other brown 
ink wash on the on the market in my mind. You know what? Actually, how I would describe this. Hmm. So the way that I'm, I've started getting really comfortable painting is starting a little bit lighter than I normally would, and then doing multiple shades down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are a product where I would probably start one shade darker than I have been lately, and then do a couple more highlights up. Okay. I think is where these would really have a great application, but they do not really add too much to the start lighter, shade down more style of painting. Interesting. Because they don't give you that granularity across a larger surface area that I would like when doing that style painting. Cool. Fair enough. I'm not totally surprised that you did not like them as much as I did. Well, I think very differently. I, honestly, I'll probably still give them a three and a half or four. Like they're for what they are, they're a great product. The fact that they're comparable quality to the G Dub stuff for half the price, yep, arguably better in some ways. Do they have highly highly spilly pots? No, they're dropper Drop bottles. bottles. Way better. So as long as the top doesn't shoot off across the room like a rocket, you're fine. Yeah, well they should. Yeah, and it's it's a wash, a wash, so it's, it should not have that problem. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it was good, and it, I think the biggest thing that I would say about them is that. The Army Painter's claim to fame is their price, and this is finally a product that exceeds the quality of what you're paying for. That I'll give you. Where most of the other paints, it's like you're getting what you pay for, or actually maybe a little bit less. This is one where, you know, I'd probably pay $5 a bottle for these. Fair. And I can get them for $350. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's, that is a high compliment to be paying most products, is that you'd be willing to pay more than you have to. To get them. Yeah, I like it. I will still continue to use them. I'm going to refine where they get used because I think they're, they're a bit limited, but Fair. I liked it. Cool. Okay. We had a lot of argument to arrive at the same place. Both liked them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, me, because I've never tried these, I'll probably just continue mixing my gloss Citadel washes with my regular to get like a satiny one. Yeah, which is the gloss ones are way too fucking glossy. And as we mentioned, the other washes are really quite dull. Yeah. But uh, the few gloss gloss versions that they have, which is probably what null oil, Agrax, and Reichlin Flesh Shade, and like maybe one or two more. I think so, yeah. But they're awesome. Mixing them, like I have a mixing pot that's 50-50 of the black and the gloss black. Yeah. And you add in some uh, Lamian Medium and you're in business. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. So like... What's not to love? Yeah. It's not rocket science to me. If it, cool. If it works for you and the price is right, go to town. Totally. Speaking of paint. Yeah. So, um... So the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about today um, is maybe a bit of a different take on War Machine painting. Because we, at this podcast, have probably shit on War Machine players more than most other systems for their inability to paint shit. No. Like, can you guys think of a game system we've shit on more? Except for maybe the fact that Infinity (laughs) is not like across the board really great paint jobs and you're painting like nine fucking models uh, I don't think we even shit on Infinity that much and even then we're usually saying. like you know what we get it you just painted like 400 buildings yeah <laughs> for your nine models to play on yeah, yeah you painted more terrain than any other game ever realistically yeah. I think the only community we probably shit on for painting is Battletech because the models they don't lend themselves to really advanced yeah. painting techniques man do you, do no you they don't yeah, I was, I was kind of the new digging. starter set models are a big step towards the modern um, design aesthetic. I was making a dig at you a little bit with the painting uh, Battletech, but like legitimately, th- yeah, there's not a lot you're working with there. That's a tough one. Not on the That's a tough one. Oh, especially not. And 
so yeah, I think I think you're right. That our War Machine is one of the communities that we've not been historically very nice to. No, we're typically pretty shitty to them, and I think it's it's in some cases it's it's well learned because you see that there's a lot of unpainted War Machine armies. I'm and they, gonna still still give them give them hell for not having painted armies at major tournaments. I think that's pretty ridiculous. But I started doing some math, and I was looking at the different options, and I was thinking to myself, okay, so my, my number one rule is don't do the math. So yeah, and I'm not. I may not pay attention to this. But I was fair warning. I was just trying to think about it because honestly, I just painted up effectively two fifty point lists in about a week, mm-hmm. and like admittedly, I was off work, but I wasn't painting like actually painting much more than six hours a day. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's. So maybe if I was at work all day, every day, maybe this would have been a two-week project instead of a one-week project. Yeah. For just, like, three hours in the evening or whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't even every day that I was painting that much either. Yeah. So one of the problems with War Machine is that every time you have a different Warcaster, you typically have a different army composition. Um, There's a bunch of different units that will synergize with different spells or feats or abilities, and and all those different things, and just looking at it, so Signar, which basically one of the first factions ever, has nineteen fucking Warcasters. Yeah, and I didn't realize this. This is something that you told me earlier today, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Because I came from the only little tiny bit of War Machine that I know anything about was Convergence, and they had four. Uh, they have six, and they at are the time s- when I was playing couldn't have been more than much more than six. you couldn't have been more than five, I'd imagine. It, it might have. I can't remember because yeah. the trick with convergence is they're a limited faction, so that they're explicitly not getting shit every time other armies do. Maybe they have six. I don't know. Either yeah. way, but they do all. have six now. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying back. Anyways, um, on top of that, there was 23 warjacks, and that's unique warjacks. There's 25 different unique so- units. Yeah, and that's not including like UAs or any of that kind of shit. And there was 18 different solos. On top of that, there's also the option of taking mercs. So. So basically, every single faction is the vanilla Space Marines Codex. Yeah, but even worse than that, in some Except ways, just, all the units are worth taking, or more of them. <laughs> well, the thing about a Space Marine book is, or army is, you can you can uh, paint up, let's say, sixty tactical Marines, right? Um, let's pretend that they're worth taking, uh, and you paint up a few. They got uh, beta bolters. Yeah, they're actually not. Yeah, anyways, not terrible. Uh, and you paint up a few heavy weapons for them, a few characters. And you magnetize the loadouts on the characters. That's really a solid core that doesn't change. The troops of that army, yeah. maybe you paint up some scouts. That's it. Whatever You take Reboot Gilliman, or you take uh, Librarian, or you take whatever. It doesn't really change how you're using your troops. But it's not like you're going to suddenly take an army of Landspeeder Storms. Because you took Gilliman. <laughs> or whatever, right? Like, like that. your HQ choices don't dictate how the rest of your army is entirely built. You probably want some synergies, but most 40k lists... You have four or five troops at most, and you're gonna take take them regardless. Yeah, yeah. Like you, and again, rule of three is another thing. Uh, War Machine just has no concept of a rule of three. So no, they have field allowances. So they do. But the problem is, is that some of your super basic units and every non-character warjack is FAU. Yeah. So, especially nowadays with uh, things like power up on your warjacks, you're seeing a lot more like warjack spam lists being in vogue. So yeah, you've got 25 or 23 different jacks, but there might be seven or eight of those that you might want seven or eight of. Right. 
It's true. There are definitely some weird skew lists um, that are just like ten of the same jack. So on top of that, you know, there, like I said, there's the eight, 25 different units. Maybe you're going to play a list where you want two or three units of trenchers. Maybe you have a unit where you want two or three units of storm knights. Uh, maybe you have two or three units where you want a unit or two of gun mages or, 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 or. Yeah. So all of a sudden, even though those units are maybe only like six to ten models strong, you are all of a sudden really getting pushed towards having a lot more models than we really kind of think this army needs. And the other thing that I'm really interested in, in looking at is that they have this notion of ADR, um, where basically what it is is for their champions format, and it's every four to six months, it changes, but you have typically four warcasters per faction that you have to pick from. What is ADR? I can't remember what it stands for. Advanced something roster. Okay. Or... Advanced Dingleberry roster. Sure, why not? Uh, yeah. But the so the idea is every every quarter to a half a year, whatever it is, uh, you have to pick you, the number of playable casters for your faction changes. Yeah, effectively. So if you play two casters in a particular faction, and you build two different lists around those casters. They very with again seventeen casters. They very well may not be in your. ADR, and suddenly you need a new list. You might only have a few units to carry over. So you can play the same faction. So let's say you only ever played Signar. Signar's the only thing you ever do. Um, and you're just building as you go, especially if you're playing stuff like ADR, and you're, you are doing that more aggressively competitive style play, it's actually really daunting to stay on top of it. Mix into the fact that they have this thing called um, the CID, the Community Integrated Development, where they're going through and basically doing like beta runs of updating rules. They no longer make physical cards anymore. It's all through war rooms. They can stay on top of yeah. any changes. Well, they don't make physical cards anymore. No, you can print them off. Interesting. Um, because it makes me kind of sad. Yeah, me I like too. Them. I'm actually quite saddened by that as well. But you can just print them off and eh, whatever. Um, but so now that changes. So then all of a sudden different archetypes or styles are going in and out of vogue a lot more often. Hopefully in the next few years, CID will slow down and just focus on a few new models every year. Yeah. But they're trying to kind of balance everything right now. So the game's pretty in flux. So you're having a situation where there's actually way more choice than I ever really thought there was for these armies. Like, I think the scope of Well, that's the thing models. that War Machine always has sold itself on, is, is that it was a skirmish game to an extent. Yeah. Right? Like, that's where it started from, is don't play 40k, come play this because you need fewer models. It's cheaper, it's better. Like, that was the, one of the original sales pitches. And to their original point, I think it still kind of is. Like, if you are just going to make would, two lists I would argue that and this have list some overlap, is smaller than a lot of this Eldar list that I'm pointing at is smaller than a lot of War Machine lists. Probably. Although 40k is also scaled back a little bit in some ways. Sure, yeah, okay. Because um, there was that time where it's just the solution for every codex was make everything cheaper. Yeah, true. Um, but like you look at that 19 more casters, 23 jacks, 25 units, 18 solos. Menoth, 19 more casters, 22 jacks, 16 units, 22 solos. Rhett, which is one of the newer of the War Machine factions, there's a few that have come out since, but they're still like kind of new kids on the block. Yeah, only have 12 casters, 17 different jacks, 14 different units, and 18 solos. Yeah, it's a fuckload. Right? You get into That's more than most most 40k codexes can boast. So the thing that I find most telling is I look at my mercenary army that I that I have, and I've been collecting them for probably eight or nine years now. Yeah. And out of the 15 possible casters, I have nine painted. 
Yeah. Out of the 20 different jacks, I have 16 painted, but only a few of them in duplicate. Yeah. Whereas I could maybe want them in triplicate or more sure, for yeah, some yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of the units, there's 23 different ones. I only have nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's well, actually shocking. Well, but again, I've got a couple units with duplicate, but the units are typically nine or ten plus models. I was going to say, so that's still 90 models. That's a huge amount of of infantry. Yeah. Like, like that's an orc army's infantry is potentially at that level, right? Yeah. That's not nothing. No. And there's a bunch more that it's half painted. Out of the 35 solos, I only have 19 or 18 painted. Um and I think the thing that's helped me a lot for this is that I've kind of, from the very beginning, was I'm going to just play Rulik Dwarves. So then I got a bunch of Rulik stuff, and I painted a bunch of Rulik stuff. Yeah, but what happens if that Rulik caster that you're playing isn't in your ADR? Which, then hilariously enough, play. Hilarious enough. so I did the Ruliks, and then I did the Pirates, so I have yeah. a bunch of pirate shit painted, and then I started mixing in a few other things after that. Yeah. Um, and then where it gets really sad is that I look at the ADR right now, and the only caster I can use on the current active duty roster, that's what it is. Okay. Um, the only caster I have is Exelon Thexis, who I just painted up for my new army. For your Cephalix? For my Cephalix. So you can't play ADR. I can. Than, well, I can one list it. As of a week ago, you can play it. Yes. Exactly. So you have how many models painted for War Machine? Let's say 120, 150? Oh, probably. Like, that's that's a ridiculous It's amount. a couple of shelves um, in the Detolf cabinet. Yeah, so you have um, a- I could comfortably, because one of my shelves <coughs> is literally, like, everything is touching. Yeah. There's no, you can't even see any light going underneath that shelf. So I could comfortably fill, and that's with three shelves full. I could comfortably fill an entire Detolf with just my War Machine mercenaries. Yeah, so that's my point, though, is you have, for a skirmish game, you own a <laughs> horde level of army. Yeah. And you can't play You can't play their competitive format. No, but I can play so many different other formats. and it's Sure, but that's the one that they're pushing as their competitive format, which is going to be their, their flag. To me, you made it sound a little bit like it was their flag. It's one of them. They've type. got a couple, but it's one of them. Is it the most popular? Uh, it's, it's about Tide, which, which is the Masters format. Okay. Um, but it is, it's one that's often getting pushed. Do people complain about it? No, most people just lean into it. And I think this is the thing, is that the War Machine players almost like, it's a bit of that self-filling prophecy where they haven't been demanded that they paint their models, so they don't worry as much about like, oh, fuck, okay, so I don't have anything painted for that, so I can just assemble it, and I'm good to go. Right? Yeah. Like... Well, if you basically have to pull a new army out of your ass every six months, potentially uh, having to paint it is a big fucking problem all of a sudden. Yeah, what I what I used the term earlier, and I think it's actually pretty apt, is it's like force meta chasing. Like yeah. you can meta chase in forty k, like that. A lot of people do that. God knows, like I do, right? Like, like the guys I'm, that were ripping all the plasma guns and melted guns off their shit to give them grav guns and seventh. Yeah, and that yeah, sort you of can thing. do that sort of stuff. But again, that's the change. You're still taking marines. Yeah, yeah. You're just swapping out maybe the guns. It's a lot less work. So the game almost inherently, <clears throat> like, it, it actually seems like the hobby demands of playing War Machine is so much greater than 40K. Yeah, I never, put it, I never thought of it that way because it's always been pushed as a skirmish game in my mind. Yeah. But when it's constantly changing what you're taking. Yeah, totally. Like, sure, each list might only have 30 or 40 models. Yeah, I mean, that's still a lot of models. <clears throat> 30 or 40 models is not, it's, it's a lot to paint. Like, anybody that's tried to paint up three tactical squads like to a decent standard. Like I mean, you can three color tactical squad and get it get it done, right? 
Uh, they're pretty, they blend themselves pretty well to airbrushing. But the moment you want to do some detail work on them, yeah. that takes a lot of time. And the yeah. War Machine models not being all multi-part plastics, you don't have the option of not gluing on all the yeah. little pouches and stuff. Like, the detail is already sculpted on, and if they're one-piece models, you're not getting it off. Exactly. No. You can't airbrush them in sub-assemblies like a tactical marine, which is very easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. an interesting point. Something I never thought about. So basically what you're saying is we've been maybe a little unfair. I think so. Like, I think the punchline for me is still paint your shit, fucking War Machine players. But uh, <laughs> I, I got I to put that a little bit at the foot of the company, though. I mean, that format to me sounds fucking dumb. The but ADR sounds <clears throat> ridiculous. So I kind of agree with you, but it did also come from... So here's a game where you had 19 casters for some of the main armies. And typically you'd only see two or three getting played. Because it's paradox of choice stuff, right? Where the more options that you have, the more likely there is to be one optimum solution that everyone gravitates towards. Yeah, I know. but <laughs> So then the ADR was a way to mix that up. That seems like an absolutely ridiculous way of doing it because in my mind, the way to make that that work is to have everything be playable. You just pick whatever the hell you want. And I mean, that's really one of the reasons why ATED 40K has been doing so well is pretty much you can put anything on the table and have a game. Yeah. <clears throat> the only problem is that, like, honestly, for me, you know what I think the real answer would be? Start breaking up these fucking factions. Yeah. Like, maybe not AOS. Which is weirdly what Infinity did. But, like, maybe you don't... To a small extent, it broke up a couple of factions. You know, but you look at something like uh, Crucible Guard, where they've got five new... They've got five casters. They've got, I think, about six units, six solos, six jacks, like that kind of realm. Mm -hmm. Um, What's to say you couldn't do something with, like, divide Signar in half, divide Manoth in half, and have them be separate entities where if you want to play... Like, where you don't have to buy a hundred different things to play an army. You know? Because it's when you limit your choices, focus in on a sub-faction, that it's a lot easier to paint up. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but to play devil's advocate, like if you were to play Craftworld Eldar specifically and do up every single unit in triplicate and have some of their troops, you're looking at... You, that, like, I mean, a lot of people probably will want to do that to play Eldar competitively. Like three units of Dark Reapers, maybe a thing you want. Two units of Shining Spears, maybe a thing you want. Uh... You're looking at a lot of models there, too. Yeah. But the thing is, is you're never going to... With 40K, they very much make it... They at least try, or have been trying, to make it so that everything is playable. So six years, or six months down the down the road, I can still bust out my Shining Spears. You know, they may not be the most overpowering thing in the world now, but they're playable. Yeah. They're good. Um, they're just... The meta balance seems like it's really well thought out. Yeah. So, and anyways, they and they don't seem to outright just like make massive lists illegal a lot of the time. Like they might make very specific army lists illegal. Yeah, but it's not like they're just going to say, "Oh, you can't take Wraith Guard anymore." Yeah, the seven Hive Tyrants. <laughs> no, you can have three. Yeah, Gino definitely learned the lesson on that one because there was a time where they did do pretty cataclysmic shifts. Where when they released a new a new book for an existing army, they would release a unit or two that are oh, new, yeah. and they would be way better than all the old units. And so the reason I stayed out of 40K for so long is I was, like, two or three bucks behind, so everything that I had was garbage. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, it took, that. <laughs> it took, like, complete reset of the edition to even make it come close, right? And even then, some of the better units' choices are still newer kits. Yeah, but I guess my point is they're just... <sighs> War Machine needs to make things playable. Yeah, but it's hard, because... 
you think about how hard of a time GW has balancing everything. Oh, totally. Yeah. Now imagine like way more nuanced interaction between every model. Like it's, I think it's a tough game to balance. And oh yeah, for sure. I really, I'm hopeful that through the CID and everything else that they eventually find like that, the happy medium. I don't disagree. Yeah, I think that's so. a good. Uh, I, I really hope that they can balance the game where anybody, because I mean, from their own company health standpoint, a consumer needs to be able to walk in a store, buy something that looks like an army, and have it not be hot garbage. Because yeah. people that are starting into your into your game don't go and read the message boards or the forums or have a friend necessarily that knows exactly what a competitive list looks like and something that'll yep. be good. They just buy something because it's cool. Yeah. Although in War Machine, in Private Two Press's defense, they do actually make army boxes that are decent playable armies. Yep. No, I mean that's so. Something. That's good. But yeah, moral of the story. Um, I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of slack, War Machine players. We're not having anything painted. Really, really half-assed apologies. What we're going with here. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, just to get uh, one one more quick point in before we wrap up the segment, I guess, is that something that necessarily is that fixable by a different play structure, or is that something that is probably another addition of the game to fix? I think for me, the biggest thing is my recommendation would be really think about what you're starting when you're starting it in terms of focusing on one of the theme lists and not getting too worried about having multiple lists outside of that theme list. Maybe play, maybe look to play Northkin instead of Troll, Trollbloods. Maybe look to play Trenchers instead of Signar. Like, find a more meaningful chunk that you can just focus on and get done. Yeah. Because even if next time around you have to get something new, um, because the way the themes work now, it's no longer one theme per caster like it used to be which was holy fuck bonkers. Now it's a theme list you can take multiple casters in. So you've got options. So there's a good chance that one warcaster from that theme list will maybe not be in the next ADR, but another one might. Sure. So you do that up. So like for me, doing the dwarves, then the pirates, now the cephalix. And when the cephalix are done, I can go and work on some steelheads. Right? Like working through in those meaningful chunks where I have like a good chunk of project that I'm happy with that I can get done fairly quick and consistently yeah um, has been pretty cool the only, one of the only reasons I've been avoiding the steelhead stuff is it kind of gets me towards the more general mercs it was a fuck ton of like character units and shit that just whew, it's gonna be a doozy <laughs> gotcha cool so it's so. just a whole different rabbit hole basically oh dude yeah it's the biggest chunk of mercs so I'm just kind of like working around the, the, <laughs> the periphery to just off the little projects first. I love how the little project involves sixty dredges. <laughs> God, painting after after this uh, after tomorrow, I'm not going to paint for at least a month. I probably I say that now, but I'm probably will paint something as soon as I'm back from Vegas because I'm always motivated. But I just don't want to paint right now at all. You just clean up some bullshit details on the on your cock, and then we can just play a few games. I had something decent to what a carrier list. I think that's not a thing anymore. I have no idea. I don't play the game enough to really know, but we can take a look. Yeah, I, used to, I know Servidors and Iron Mother was a theme list. It probably might be. I'll look at War Room later. It was way back. <laughs> the way back so. machine. So I, do yeah. have the, I do have the giant plastic dildo. Yeah. So I was joking with, I think I was joking with Ryan about, like, actually replacing them with dildos. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> or I guess you could just, like make an RTV mold yourself and just mold it out of, like, pliable silicone rather than, like, the hard plastic. <laughs> so it's still the same shape, but it has, has the good has flex. the texture. 
has yeah. the has the wibble. We can make it like sound. Okay, we need to wrap this. You could like trans emergence projector, whatever it's called, like whip somebody. Just very concerning. Very concerning. I love it. Anything else, guys? I, I think on that note, we should probably just wrap it up. This has been another episode of Hobby Night in Canada. Until next time, I'm Tom. I'm Dan. I'm Steve. In. Play some games, have some fun, paint your fucking models. I gotta go paint real bad. Yeah. <laughs>